Today we're going to talk about KOL marketing. Um, KOL marketing, or some people might call it influencer marketing, it's a more common term in the West. Uh, but that's going to be the topic of today. And Elijah, you have a, a background. Uh, why don't you share with, with everyone your story here and, and what brought you to China and, and what got you into this industry, so to speak? Sure, sure. Um, so I've been in video production since I was a teenager, and um, that's what I had built my career around. And I got to my the, my mid twenties about ten years ago, and I recognized that the industry was changing. And when industries morph and change, typically the guys at the bottom do fine, and the guys way at the top mm -hmm. do fine. But the guys in the middle are the ones that get smashed. You yeah. know, kind of like the AI and truck drivers. People who are washing trucks do fine, and people who are managing <laughs> trucks, CEOs do fine, but yeah. everybody in the middle gets crunched. Okay. And so um, I decided to go back to school, study international business, um, saw China as an opportunity to hyper-growth my career, mm -hmm. um, came over, and um, started working at agencies. And um, I was a content marketing director for an agency, and every time we'd create a piece of content, it would go out to these people called KOLs, mm -hmm. these things called KOLs. And I was like, what is this? The key opinion leader. Yeah, right? key yeah. opinion leader. And <clears throat> when they described it to me, I went, holy smokes, like I'm a content marketing director for, for businesses and for an agency. This is the purest form of content marketing mm -hmm. I've ever heard of because all they're doing is creating content mm -hmm. and promoting a, um, you know, an, an idea and building communities. They're not selling anything at all. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea behind, you know, Content Inc. and the, you know, Joe Polizzi and those guys was, hey, brands should make content to attract people and value first kind of proposition. And these influencers, I was looking at going, I think they're bus building businesses in reverse. They're building the marketing <laughs> channel first <laughs> and aggregating these big audiences. And then later they're going to be able to layer in products and services that are perfectly designed for this vertical of people that mm. they've aggregated for themselves. And mm. I actually thought it was so clever that um, a couple of years later I had an opportunity where I met a young, beautiful, ma talented makeup artist who's actually sitting off uh, <laughs> camera over here. And, um, yeah, and um, we, uh, I said, hey, why don't we do this thing? Yeah. Like, what, you know, what's your ultimate goal? She said, you know, I want to start a cosmetics business. Mm -hmm. It's like, awesome, let's build the uh, marketing channel first. Okay. And so that was a little over four years ago now. And she's one of the biggest beauty influencers in the country now, KOLs. And, um, and it's kind of rolling out a little bit like we had planned. Like we have really good opportunities here in the future to do some brand collaborations mm -hmm. over cosmetics and offline events. And we're maybe 18, 24 months away from potentially raising money mm -hmm. around that. And, um, and then my timing was just really good. Like mm -hmm. the industry just has blossomed over the last five years or so yeah. and that allowed me to become CMO of a MarTech mm. um, KOL company and um, and yeah and so it's been really fascinating. So you, you mentioned the market is exploding. Uh, growth rate annually is about 42 percent so are we getting close to like a saturation point? That growth is that market is phenomenally big. Yeah. Um, I don't think so. <clears throat> and the reason why is, I like to pull out my phone for this. Okay. This thing has 
democratized or fractionalized the creation, distribution, and consumption of content. Mm -hmm. And so now, no matter what your interest is, whether it's KOL marketing in China, or men's clothing, or, or wine, or cosmetics, there is going, and, and in all of the niches within those categories, there is going to be people seeking out others that feel or or have the information or <clears throat> have the knowledge mm -hmm. that they want are going to aggregate in those digital online and sometimes even offline communities and within that community there's always going to be the extrovert or the creator mm -hmm. or the educator that produces content for that that little microcosm of mm -hmm. of community mm -hmm. that's created around that interest and the range of human interests is limitless. Mm -hmm. And so I actually don't see this getting any better or worse, I, I, whatever your perspective is on it. I think it's only going to become more. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because the access to creation, distribution, and consumption is becoming that much easier. Mm -hmm. And you don't need, you know, we have nice cameras here, but the reality is like, this baby's pretty good, good enough. <laughs> and, and in most cases, we will sacrifice, as content consumers, we will sacrifice some level of quality for nichely interesting mm. um, content and information. Mm. And so <clears throat> that um, dynamic of creating and sharing mm. is proliferating and it's going and it's very dynamic and I right. think that it's only going to become more I don't think we're ever gonna go back to a mass media type mm. of you know channel 3 channel 6 right yeah. channel 11 um, and you know there's always again there's always gonna be the upper echelons mm -hmm. and there's gonna be Netflix making movies or Disney or but even the Hollywood world has changed a lot right and that has a lot to more do. democratized as well, right? Totally, yeah. and that has to do with that idea of distribution, creation, um, and consumption behavior modification. But these folks need to be authentic, right? I mean, these the the if I if I was imagining the market just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, I can't imagine that this, these a few KOLs are just dominating the market because at some point, don't people see them as a business rather than a person? Yeah. Correct, but you know the interesting. There's a funny statistic around the idea of. I have people ask me pretty often, like, how many people do you have to have follow you mm. to um, to be considered an influencer? Okay, mm. well, well, there's a really cool theory around. You need, and this is, uh, I think this is um, Seth Godin or one of those guys, yeah. or maybe Seth Godin just promotes it, and it's it's very true. The idea that. You need a thousand real fans, and the math behind a thousand real fans is, if you have a thousand people give you a hundred dollars mm -hmm. over a year period of time, that's a hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars. You know, that's a for most people that's a very significant. You know, that's six figure income, man. Right. That's yeah. a significant yeah. amount of money. And and for any you know people that own a business or <clears throat> sell a product, you really if you have customers that return and buy everything you sell. You don't need that many customers mm. to create a business that can sustain you or a few people or something like that. And so that's kind of some of the ideas behind it mm. is it, it feels like in many ways that we're, we are getting, things are getting smaller, brands are getting smaller, mm. the 
your appeal and, and you know, even for big, big brands, the amounts of products and small runs and stuff that Nike is doing or, you know, booksellers or something like that, it is getting more and more small. So if I'm a brand, let's take a step back. If I'm a brand, how do I engage these people? How do I, do I, do I work directly with them? Do I work through agencies? How does it work? Um, you know, it totally depends on, um, you know, what your niche is and mm -hmm. how you should, you know, what, how you want to approach it. Um, you know, I promote, when I started with um, Park Lu years ago, my pitch to the CEO was, let's turn you into the KOL of KOL Marketing. Mm -hmm. And what I knew what that meant was we're going to have to make lots of content at scale, be consistent for a long period of time, and it's going to have to be really, really premium value mm. that any competitor would have a hard time reaching. Right. And it took about a year, and then people really started to take notice. And mm. after two years, I've I spent most of this last year traveling around the world just doing talks. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I did it is because she just didn't have enough time to do all of the media and press and engagement that the company needed to do mm. around the around the subject matter. And you know, everywhere from New York Times to Forbes to I did an interview for Vogue. <laughs> like you know, my mom got to read a magazine with her son's name in Vogue magazine, and nice. and so and and that really just came around the principle of like providing value for people and so mm -hmm. you can do it on your own or you can find someone that's providing that value and see what is it that you can do mm. to exchange value with them and sometimes that means money sometimes mm. that means you know bringing them more audience sometimes mm. that means some sort of business trade um, you hopefully will understand your customer enough to understand where they're consuming content or where they're uh, where their attention is. Mm. But do you do do these costs kind of add up from from the perspective of you know the the KOLs demand side? They have, look, I can I can get your product out in front of this many fans of mine. Agencies, if they're involved, take a cut for sure. Um, are these campaigns getting more and more expensive? Yeah, I mean it. You know, if you are in the really hot verticals of beauty mm. or fashion, some of the costs can be so prohibitively high that it's essentially impossible to see ROI. Okay. And that doesn't sound good. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. And, and, and that's so we're in a situation where the cost of customer acquisition is getting so high that there's no way. Um, unless you have very extreme techniques on retention and experiential and getting customers to be advocates mm. that you're going to make this worth it. Mm. And, and um, one of the things that I remember uh, reading about uh, was that, and I think you're a big proponent of this as well, is, is building communities. Mm. Um, how does that work with retention? Um, is that it, And how do brands build a community that's sort of authentic if it's if people know that there's a brand behind it right sure well I mean it's really about <clears throat> figuring out and I, I talk a lot about like value first marketing mm -hmm. and and when I say that what I mean is what is it you can do <clears throat> to provide value outside of your core product and service to someone so that you see so that you embed them into your it, yourself or your brand into their lives mm -hmm. and you know 
classic example of none of us would ever hang out with someone that every single time we hung out with them, they asked for something from us. Right. <clears throat> and unfortunately, this has been the approach that most brands have taken to social. And it's one of the reasons why the biggest brands in the world are beholden to kids on the internet <laughs> is because all they did was take, take, take. Mm -hmm. Every time they engaged with their customers, they asked for something, they promoted something, they, they, didn't, they didn't embed themselves into the lives of people by offering them value, building community, mm -hmm. doing something special outside of the product. So there are some brands, and that's mm -hmm. where you know, the content marketing ink kind of comes from, you know, Michelin restaurant mm -hmm. being tied to Michelin tires, and you know, Betty Crock cookbooks and a, and mm -hmm. a bakery product, and, and Red Bull, you know, events and media and music being associated with a with a drink product, mm. and brands can do this and they should do this, and um, and I think that it's scalable and I think that it's also it's it's changing and it's a dynamic environment. But one of the things we talk about in China right now, and some of the most successful brands are leveraging something that we call private traffic. Okay. And private traffic really is just aggregating customers into these community type environments. Is this like the 500 person WeChat groups? Or kind of. Okay. It's, it's that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you one of the most interesting stories that I've ever heard about how a company did this. Um, there's this company, I don't know if it exists anymore because this was quite a while ago, but I just thought it was so fascinating. Up in a, uh, way up north, what's the... Heilongjiang? No, that where it's really cold, they do the ice castles. Harbin. Harbin. Yeah. Harbin. There's a Harbin company that did a Pandora um, uh, necklaces and jewelry knockoff. Yeah. And they had aggregated at one point, I can't remember exactly the number, but it was something insane, like 100,000 customers in, in private WeChat accounts. Mm -hmm. And... And they were, and they had women sitting around. They didn't have sophisticated CRMs or anything like that. They just had like one woman managing like twenty accounts, kind of thing, and and uh, groups yeah. and posting in moments. But how they had aggregated these people was, they had made these machines that if you scanned a QR code, you could print out a picture from your phone, and they placed them strategically, placed them in malls around the country next to jewelry shops, so that women, when they would be walking around through malls and they saw one of these machines, they would go over, scan the code, it was for a personal WeChat account, have an opportunity to engage, provide yeah. value first, right. and then be sucked into this, they didn't know they <laughs> were being sucked into this vortex <laughs> of this company. And this company was making bank at the time. Yeah. And so, you know, and that's just kind of a hacky, interesting example. Mm -hmm. But there's really, really are companies. Uh, it's said that um, right now there's a, the biggest beauty company in China right now is a company called um, perfect diary yep. they're said to have have a million customers in private traffic yeah and I don't know exactly what that means um, but there are people who are leveraging these ideas of that you can provide something more than a product and and a brand is made up of people right and we have this idea that I think it's taught to MBA students and stuff that mm. Um, a brand is a business and, and the people that make up that business and, and they have very rigid structures around how they communicate themselves and how and their image and stuff 
And the reality is, is that it really doesn't matter what you say about yourself. It matters what other people say about you. Right. And so there's an amount of this rigidity in brands that needs to flex and allows other people to communicate. It, it reminds me of uh, one of these things people seem to be talking a lot now about is these key opinion consumers, POCs. Yeah. It's a much more, um, it's like a micro-influencer. I don't know if that's the right way to describe it, but you would be able to describe it. Much yeah, better. well, I, I think there's some, I interpret it different. Okay. So there are some companies and there are some people who interpret KOC as essentially a micro-influencer, mm -hmm. meaning that it's someone who has a small following online, who talks about products and influences their small community. Mm. I don't interpret it as that. I actually interpret a KOC as a customer of your business who when they buy your product, they talk about it and reproduce sales after themselves. Okay. And so the challenge, this is actually one of the challenges that I've taken on is, how can businesses identify, compel, and reward KOCs to make that action more often mm -hmm. and, and, and make them feel valued as a customer for making those actions? Mm. And, um, and, and then the systems to identify and track those actions and such. And, and it's actually a really, really cool challenge because it's kind of like saying, who loves our brand? Yeah, let's well, let's let's uh, uh, back up for a second, just because I think folks uh, folks not in China may not. We're already a couple levels deep, which is good. Sure, sure, sure. But they may they may just to give them some context. These are folks who are like um, maybe leaving often leaving like comments on your Weibo account, which in China is a little bit like Twitter in the mm -hmm. U.S. or on We uh, WeChat or um, other social media channels who people who like your product and are out there saying they like your product, but you said the difficulty is finding these people and, and getting them to all aligned on your, your message. And Yeah, so I mean, it could be anything. Yeah. Um, I had a, because of a campaign, I had a Chanel men's chapstick. Mm -hmm. And I had put it on my desk one day and I had three people comment about this chapstick mm -hmm. and talk about it and I talked about how I liked it and it was very attractive and it was an interesting product mm -hmm. and I had become a KOC for Chanel for mm -hmm. men's chapstick okay now Ch Chanel's never mm -hmm. gonna know that mm -hmm. they don't have you know unless there's an Amazon device or some you know right. Xiaomi that's <laughs> listening to my conversation and aggregating right. that they're not gonna know that I'm doing that for them however if I was to write a review on a website, or if I was to make a post on social media, mm -hmm. or if I was to comment on someone else's post on social media, or something digital that you're able to scrape and acquire and understand who that person is, that is the opportunity that I am looking for, mm. is who is the person that loves a product so much that they talk about it, and that and them talking about it influences other people to make a purchase decision. And it's not like Star Wars, you're trying to influence them to come to the dark side as the brand. You're just, <laughs> you're just, you're, you're just enabling them, right? They already love your brand, but you're trying to give them the tools to... Correct. Yeah, yeah and you're trying to reward actions. Reward I mean, them. you know, you reward actions that you want to have. Pavlov's dog, you know, okay? mm -hmm. you're rewarding actions that you want to, um, to happen again. And so, um, there, you know, 
marketers break things for sure. <laughs> that's that's our job. Okay. And and you know and as much as you know it, it might seem dark, you know I've, my a big part of my personal time is researching psychology, <laughs> trying to mm -hmm. understand how to influence and impact and um, people. So there is maybe an element that is somewhat subversive or, or maybe... I, I didn't mean to say all marketers are <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the reality is, yeah, I mean, at the same time, like, you want people to feel like they're part of something. Mm -hmm. You want them to feel like, hey, um, we like that you like our products and we like that you've taken actions to tell other people and that you're bringing people into that fold and we would like to reward you for that mm -hmm. or we would like to um, compel you to do more of that. My wife is a big fan of Toomey products, you know, uh -huh. so I'm, I'm sure if Toomey ever found her they, and, and asked her, hey, do you want to be, well, it's a, but that's the thing, it's not like, hey, do you want to be a KOC? You're saying you already are a KOC. Correct. Okay. Correct. And so, and there are, you know, the funny thing is, is it, it goes beyond that. Like, I, I'm still shocked, um, you know, in, I, I have a home studio mm. and, and I have been the main content creator um, with my girlfriend for the last four years. Mm -hmm. And I am still shocked that how many brands have glass bottles with silver text. Mm -hmm. And I am a quasi-professional photographer with a very nice setup in my home. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> I can't believe how difficult it is to take pictures of some of these products to be able to share with people, mm. let alone some girl who wants to share with her friends <laughs> the product that she just bought right. so that it can reproduce after itself. Mm. Brands aren't, but some brands are not even in the headspace where they're even just allowing the or enabling customers to engage or allow engagement beyond the single point of purchase. Mm. And so, you know, if and when. I create my own brand, damn dude, you open up that box, <laughs> there's going to be lights, colors, sounds, right. smells, it is going to be a visceral experience that you have to capture and share. Okay. And you want to compel people in this age of social, in this age of sharing and age of experience mm -hmm. to want to show other people that this is a really wonderful experience, mm -hmm. a brand experience, and it's outside and it's unexpected and it's and <clears throat> it goes beyond that a product or service that you bought that makes people want to talk about it how do these uh, different channels um, interact when I'm trying to put a, a campaign together sure um, well I, I don't know if there's a really single great answer for that but I can say that so I have we know how much it costs mm. to a CPM mm -hmm. for these platforms, mm -hmm. a cost per thousand views, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's, you know, the, you know, 60 renminbi or $10 or whatever platform you're on, how, how many, um, how much it will cost to reach these people. Mm -hmm. And a, a really good ex example of what I do, let's say you're going to have an offline event mm -hmm. and you know how much it's going to cost to have your offline event. You have a really good idea of how much foot traffic is going to go through and going to engage with that. Mm. So we're going to create actions within that offline event that hopefully compel attendees to share that content on one of these channels. Mm. And 
we are going to say that if they do, we can kind of determine on average how many followers or how many people will see that person's piece of content. Mm. And essentially, we can just extrapolate out from that and say, hey, if I can get X number of people to share and they have X number of influence over people, then my CPM, as long as my CPM is higher than what I would have paid directly to the platform, mm -hmm. I'm in a great position mm -hmm. because the CPM value of that individual sharing is higher than an ad anyway. Mm. So I just want to I just want to meet or exceed that CPM of that platform. Okay. And then I also know that there is going to be some conversion rate of that influence and then I can distill that down further and say, hey, X percent of these people that are influenced or see this post are going to click and or check out the brand or have one of their exposures with the brand and then later are going to make a purchase and I can extrapolate then the lifetime value of that customer acquisition. Mm -hmm. If mm. you can't show me the math that gets me 2X, then I'm not gonna do it. Okay. And and what we're really showing, trying to do is is something fuller than that. And so and once you do this stuff, it's just you can let the math decide for you. And then hopefully you know that sharing across platforms and stuff. So is that your question? Uh, that's you know that's my that's my question basically. Okay. I just uh, I know I've read many times that uh, a lot of people coming from a traditional school of marketing are quick to jump on uh, how many sales did we convert out of this campaign. But but I but I think. Uh, you've, you've been an advocate before that it's not just about, you can't just look at the sales conversions per se. It's a, it's a much broader picture than that, right? Well, and, and you know, it's, the, the reality is that we have an especially tough time in China. Mm -hmm. China's a high context culture. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is, um, in practical application for marketers, is that the buyer's journey is longer. And, mm -hmm. um, and there's some really good McKenzie report on that, you know, like the average Western customer needs like four brand engagements or product engagements before making a purchase decision. Chinese, it's twice as much, it's eight. Mm. So that means that they're going to have to see or interact with that product eight times before making a purchase. Mm. So if we know that, then we know that the first time someone interacts with this product or service, especially a new brand or a new product or whatever it is, that they're not just going to see it and buy it. Mm. And part of that high context, and, the, and it's really, really pervasive and it's very obvious in the culture that the difference between like a, a Tmall product page is if you go to a Tmall product page, you will scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll because they're going to have pictures from every angle, how people are using it, mm. the size and dimensions, colors, what the manufacturer that makes it, the, the government cert pictures of government certificates for being able to make it, all of the testing that it's gone under. Because these, they're very, you know, Chinese are very pragmatic, very mm -hmm. intelligent people mm -hmm. that they don't make decisions willy-nilly. Right. And so they have to truly be convinced that this is the best decision for them to make. Mm. And part of that means that you're not just going to be able to expose them once and convert. Mm -hmm. And so when someone comes to me and says, hey, I'm not going to work with this influencer or do this thing because the direct ROI is going to be less than what I spent, that is a very, very narrow point of view mm -hmm. on what it means to interact and truly influence people. And and so even when, you know, and I know that uh, when some of these customer acquisition 
um, costs from direct ROI from campaigns are very, very inflated. That's part of the game too right. of recognizing that this is a buyer's journey mm. and it's not just this static price of saying that we exposed to a million people and we only got 23 sales and so the cost of acquisition was thousands of Redmi and B. That's not really the whole story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, and well, yeah, statistics on this kind of stuff in, in China is always a little bit, uh, you to, might be buyers beware. Or, yeah. A yeah. little bit uh, uh, skeptical sometimes. Uh, I wanted to, um, uh, since you touched on some of the platforms, Tmall being one of them, owned by Alibaba, um, uh, there's various platforms out there. How do KOLs and KOSCs work with or flock to one platform or the other? There's, there's this one um, called Red, which is Xiaohongshu in Chinese, and um, I don't think there's any platform like that in the US. So can you walk us through the different platforms and maybe some similarities and differences between China and the West? Sure, sure. So one thing that's really interesting about Chinese platforms is Functionally, they're actually all the same. They look the same, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and it, well, what's interesting the layout, about them right? is, yeah, yeah. What what's interesting about them is is that every, essentially every single app, whether it be content, social, messaging, mm. commerce, they all have messaging. They all have social. Mm. They all have content. They all have payments. They all have commerce. What really, really makes the apps different is user intentionality. Mm -hmm. And what that actually means is, when I go to engage with this app, what value am I expecting to get out of it? Mm -hmm. And so when I go to Tmall or Taobao, even though I can interact with people or consume content or distribute content, I'm actually going on there to buy stuff. Mm -hmm. And right. so my intentionality is that. And when I go on to WeChat, even though I can do payments and buy stuff and create content or distribute content, the typical user's intentionality is to communicate, mm. to message someone. Mm. And Weibo is to consume viral peripheral news. And, and Xiaohongshu Red is to, um, is to look at product reviews and learn about products. Mm -hmm. And they all have the same intent, they all have the same functions. Mm -hmm. And so this makes a really, really interesting dynamic for marketers or, or KOLs or KOL marketers is that aligning your content or your, um, your intentions that you have for the platform with the intentions of the person that is engaging with the platform. Mm -hmm. So your campaign on Taobao, or your campaign on Xiaohongshu Red, or your campaign on Weibo or WeChat should be specifically designed for how that person engages with that platform mm -hmm. and understanding what is the mental state that someone is in when mm -hmm. they get on there. And that's one of the reasons why WeChat has become a great place for this kind of social CRM community building environment because that's what people go on there to do right. is interact and communicate. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the reasons why really viral, reaching tons of people, crazy stuff goes on to, uh, sometimes crazy stuff goes on to Weibo or, mm -hmm. or you know, I call Douyin TikTok, yeah. the bathroom reader. 
like because it's just like for wasting time and it's and it's mindless garbage it's mindless garbage yeah it's mindless garbage (laughs) and so you should put mindless garbage on there. I think we just lost the chance of doing it or sponsoring it. So. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> Sorry about that. Right. And, 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 and you should put product and create product reviews or when you're engaged with influencers on Xiaohongshu mm-hmm. or, or do productized live streaming entertainment on Taobao and Tmall because mm-hmm. that's what people expect and want out of that experience. Mm-hmm. And so that's what actually really makes China so unique is in the West, it's, it, it is moving towards a Chinese model, mm-hmm. um, but in the West, it's still very um, non-integrated payments across social and content platforms, where you don't see a lot of social dynamics on content platforms like YouTube or something like that, mm-hmm. or you don't, you don't really see any content on, on Amazon right. um, or no messaging application kind of thing. Um, and so, but we do see that in China. And we are seeing the transition in the West to a Chinese model. Thanks, Elijah, for coming. Uh, it was great to have you on the show. Um, I think the audience got a lot out of this one, and um, really a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So we have a tr- tradition on the show. We do uh, Gambe Toast, because the name of the show. So Gambe. Gambe. Yeah. <laughs>